0: So we want to make a, a commit. Um, sorry, hold on. My, my, ear, my, ear, my earbud popped out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, no problem. <laughs> the joys of recording. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: From the Spec Network, this is Fragmented, a developer podcast where we
1: talk about building good software and becoming better developers. I'm Don Felker. And I'm Kaushik Gopal. Welcome to the show. This episode of Fragmented is brought to you by educative.io. Now, there are a lot of websites out there that help you teach programming courses, but one thing most of them tend to do is focus on video. So they're all video based. Educator.io takes a very different approach. Uh, To them, they go the text-based route. That means you don't necessarily have to like scrub back and forth to follow along. Say, you know, you're going through a video and someone just blows past a certain section and then you're going back, wait, 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 what did they say exactly? And you rewind, then open up a notepad to take notes. You don't have to do any of that with educative.io because it's text-based. Think of it as like almost reading a book. If you're reading a book, it's pretty easy to skim back uh, or double back and just easily skim through. In addition to a, a whole bunch of amazing courses out there, here's the kicker. If you're an Android developer, they just launched a killer Android course called Modern Android App Development. It's perfect. Just go back, refresh your memory, and go through the educative course. It has a fully functional live Android emulator, so you can actually create and deploy your app right from within the course. You'll get a live link to the app that you can share with friends, or even you know, put up on your portfolio if you start looking for jobs. Check it out now and get an additional 10% off your purchase if you go through this special link, educative.io slash fragmented. Once again, that's educative.io, E-D-U-C-A-T-I-V-E, in case you didn't catch the spelling, educative.io slash fragmented. Thanks again for sponsoring this show, Educative. All right, folks. Uh... So sadly, Don couldn't join me today for this show, but I do have someone else who's joining me, and I'm super excited about this guest. He was uh, my boss at a previous job. He remains a mentor uh, to me today, and I always go to him when I need, in general, software engineering advice or hack even life advice sometimes. So I'm really excited to have him on the show and have you folks talk to him. He's easily one of the best engineers I've ever worked with, uh, so without further ado I'd like to introduce you to Gordon. Welcome to the show G. How's it going?
0: Hey, Kashik. Oh, it's very exciting to be here. Thanks <laughs> for having great.
1: me. <laughs> the funny thing is folks don't know but we even talked about starting the podcast at like you know at an early stage when you know back when we were at wedding party like we talked about the podcast. So you've actually seen like the podcast from the day it was like created to Oh, around 197 episodes in how crazy is that huh? that's
0: right yeah yeah we talked about right there was like ios podcasts and rails podcasts oh but there's not an android podcast and there needs to be one people need to learn how to do this stuff
1: yeah android developers like also have commutes I and mean, we it is something to listen to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly for folks who like don't know you as well as me could you like just let us know like yeah what you do where you work just give us a like, brief background before we jump into the meat of today's show, which I'm super excited to get to.
0: Sure, sure. So I I currently work at the same company that you do, uh, Instacart. (laughs) And the reason is that both of us joined there from Wedding Party, which is our previous company. And that that was a a venture-backed startup uh, in the mobile space Mm -hmm. uh, that I co-founded with some friends. And we managed to convince Kalshik to join us, which was an excellent thing. Uh, and, and prior to that, I was at uh, Carnegie Mellon uh, in Santa, in uh, the Silicon Valley here, uh, doing grad school. And before that, I'd been doing some software engineering for some professors. Uh, so I've been doing software engineering for a while, and uh, I've been working with Kaushik for a while. <laughs> <laughs>
1: For better or for worse.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not for better, Uh, better.
1: uh, (laughs) So I don't know if you remember this, G, but uh, back at wedding party, uh, when our then, uh, one of our new colleagues joined us, who's also like, who's a very good friend of ours now. uh, When you were doing her orientation, I remember she was pretty early on in her career. So you were basically doing like a walkthrough of Git because we used obviously Git uh, for our version control. But I remember, like, the orientation session you were doing for her. Because, I mean, we were, like, huddled in, like, a relatively small space, right? So, like, I I overheard how you were doing, like, some of the uh, Git introductions to her. And I thought it was fantastic because what you did was typically the way people learn how to use Git is, you know, they just Google, like, a cheat sheet of sorts or something along those lines, right? So they find a cheat sheet look at the commands that they've been using for some time, just like, you know, just repeat those commands you find on a cheat sheet, and then you get 60% of the way you start using, and then eventually you start to maybe understand. But a lot of developers go a long way without even understanding the internals. You flipped it, though, like when you did this orientation, you almost made sure to explain how the internals of Git work. I thought it would be amazing if we can like almost go through like a mini orientation session where like you can talk to us about how the internals of Git works. How does that sound?
0: Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, I remember when I was learning Git, I, I had that problem where I, at first I was looking at the commands and trying to figure things out. And I really just had no idea uh, how to use it and why these things were the way that they were. And it was only, I read a couple books about it. And, and finally, once I understood the uh, object model and what was going on there, then the actual, the, what they call the the porcelain commands right the 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 fancy commands that you use on top of this stuff they they finally made sense to me right uh, so yeah i I'd, I'd be happy to dig in
1: yeah. So you, you, you mentioned something. And again, for folks who know Git, this this would like ring a bell. But otherwise, it sounds like just like, you know, uh, off the cuff, fancy term. You said porcelain. I know Git has like this thing where there are like two kinds of commands, right? There's like porcelain commands. And uh, what's the other one? Plumbing or it, p- plumbing? Plumber. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All okay. right. So what exactly is porcelain and what exactly is plumbing?
0: Yeah, so the porcelain commands are the commands that you, you typically will use in your day to day development. Uh, the plumbing commands are commands that are there for people who want access more to the internals. So they'll use them for like writing scripts or for sort of custom workflows that uh, you typically wouldn't otherwise use.
1: Interesting. And what are some examples of like, yeah, porcelain and like, what are some examples of like plumbing commands?
0: Yeah. So like, you know, git status would be, or, you know, git commit would be porcelain. Uh, for plumbing commands, there, there's uh, there's git cat file, which will, uh, you know, uh, print out the contents of one of the blobs that's in the object directory, for example. <laughs>
1: oh, wow. So there's git cat file. So this is like the basic Unix cat. This is like... There git has a variant of cat in itself that actually like gives you like way more information
0: right right and, and and the reason for that is you know so it, if you look at git there's there's this directory uh in your current directory. it's a hidden directory called dot git and if you go down under there there's a bunch of files in there and one of the directories underneath that is uh, called objects and if you look in there uh you, you'll see a bunch of you know uh short folder names and then under there you'll see some longer name files mm-hmm. those files are 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 objects but and they they're uh, different types of objects and they're actually the the contents of those is the the file content itself but you can't look at it because mm-hmm. it's it's zipped and it has a header on it uh, so uh, so Trying to see the content of that file, you need, you need this thing called git cat file to actually tell you about the file. So you can, you can you know, send it a couple of uh, flags to have it either show what the type of the file is so, uh, or, the, uh, or the content of the file.
1: So we're going to jump into the Git directory, but like I want to actually step yeah. back even before that, right? Because Git is a little different from like most other versioning <laughs> systems, yeah. right? Because I don't know if you have, you've probably worked with some of the older ones, right? Like Subversion and... Yeah, uh, I think yeah. Not, Merc- Mercurial is, again, like slightly newer. It was like the competing thing with Git. But there was like a couple of versioning systems before that.
0: Right, right. Subversion. Yeah. Can you explain how...
1: How they're like, because I remember like with subversion, like, you know, your versioning used to be one, two, it used to make a lot of sense. It's just like version one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, that, literally, right. that used to be the version, which seems crazy in today's world because people are so used to Git. But uh, what's the deal with that? Like, why did Git have to make things like that much more difficult for like us? Right? Why couldn't they just like use something as simple as what Subversion did, like, what is different about Git? Like why was Git such a revolutionary thing? Was it just like the new cool tool to come out?
0: Yeah, so the thing with Subversion was that it was kind of like a centralized database, right? So there was a monotonically increasing uh, version identifier. And as long as you were talking to that centralized uh, uh, database, it could easily sort of increment as there were new versions. that doesn't work so well if you have a, a decentralized uh, platform like Git. So Git, you know, you can actually, you know, you can you can do Git locally on your on your local machine, uh, and then everybody can, after the fact, decide to join with uh, some centralized uh, Git uh, re- repository. Uh, and, and so what you need to be able to do is basically do offline work separate from the repository, and then everybody can reconcile that stuff after the fact. So there's no like centralized version number that that people can use. Uh, I- instead, the way that it works is that everybody agrees on uh, the identifiers for the data that's in their system, uh, as opposed to having a, a version number. So Uh, The same file will end up with the same very long uh, SHA. uh, And and that's where the the agreement comes in. Yeah.
1: Oh, yeah. So, like, part of it is like, and you use some terms, you said like centralized versus uh, uh, decentralized or like distributed or something. Right. And that's why it works so seamlessly, where you don't need to be connected to the internet. You can just keep using Git, right? And with, I remember, like, with Subversion and stuff. You couldn't actually at that point, yeah, you can I mean eventually I think even with Git when you push to like a remote or something, you need to connect to uh like a central system. So when we use GitHub, which is like different from Git, does GitHub also function as that centralized thing? Or is GitHub just like another client that like listens? If you're doing that, why isn't it the same as subversion? Like you know what I mean?
0: Right. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing about Git is that remotes are are not particularly special. Uh, so in Subversion, this is it's like it's your database, right? It's your centralized repository. But in in Git, a remote is just an just another repository. So uh, what the, these things are called remotes. Origin is just sort of uh, a stand, a standard name for one of the remotes. Uh, but you can have many remotes. Like I remember when I was first deploying to a thing called Heroku. Heroku also took a Git repository, and so you would set it up as another remote. And I think most people just called it Heroku. Oh, that's right. So you would say like Git push to GitHub, but then you could also say Git push to Heroku because it was just another uh, uh, remote.
1: Typically, Git push origin is what most people are used to when they want to get their work up to like a common report, right? And that, uh, that repo, and that typically tends to be GitHub. Yeah, but with oh that yeah that makes so much sense when you put it like that. So with Heroku, you have like an equivalent repository, just like how GitHub probably has. They have a repository, and you're pushing to that remote. So it's like just another place,
0: right? Right. And there's some smarts around it because it uses the, the Git protocol, and so there's you know there's some work that's being done on the server side as well as on the client side when you're when you're doing these. Uh, but you know. It, uh, w- without that protocol, you, you, you could you know rsync files if you needed it. it, it, it actually, no, it wouldn't work very well. You, you really <laughs> want to use the Git protocol. Yeah.
1: <laughs> okay, that's awesome. So yeah, and and I pulled this uh, out of this, but I want to jump right back in. You said there's a .git directory, right? And like this is the yeah. funny thing because when people usually type uh, you know when they like you know get in it or like they create a new repository like everything looks normal nothing looks like it's crazy you know if you have a fancy shell it just shows like master it suddenly but the smarts and like all of it is in that dot git directory right right but what exactly is stored in that dot git directory right like is everything stored there so like if i accidentally just delete that directory Am I just like nuking my whole Git repo? Like
0: that's right. That's uh, that's the one thing you want to avoid doing. I again mean, uh, <laughs> so yeah, you'll 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 uh, you'll nuke all of your history. That that's right. So that's one reason for wanting to have stuff up on GitHub for sure. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, yeah,
1: because at least then you have somebody else who's. I, I wonder. Is this how like torrenting works? Is there like a similar theme about how torrenting works? Because like, there's no. Sen- it's like decentralized, right? Oh, I guess it's probably just decentralized, but it isn't. It's-
0: it's actually pretty centralized. Uh, it, it, it's it's decentralized in the fact that you have a full copy of the repository and also GitHub has a full copy of the repository. But uh, it, it, it's not quite the same as torrenting where the data would come from uh, many different uh, computers.
1: Oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's right. That, that Yeah, so no single person... St- yeah, torrenting is a little more like... Yeah, it's interesting for different reasons because like, I think it's like, oh, I have these parts, you have these parts. Like, let's exchange right. and then build our... Copy so that we can eventually reach to a point, but the summation of everyone like who's connected should at least have some piece, right? That's how like we know. Right. Right. Uh, got. It. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes a lot more sense. Cool. So yeah, uh, yeah. Well, What exactly is the structure of a dot git directory? Like, what do I? What would I? Ex- if I opened up my git repo, like dot git, i yeah, I just open it up for like a newer repository. I see objects, I see refs, I see like a whole bunch of things like hooks. Yeah, can you like walk us through what what exactly is stored in each each of these things?
0: Right. So initially it it starts off relatively bare bones. So uh, it'll have a a hooks folder, which has a a bunch of examples in it. Uh, And these these hooks are basically things that can fire off when you do a commit. For example, it can, you know, you, you can put some checks in there that ensure that it abides by uh, some strictures that you have, and if it doesn't, then it says, hey, uh, you know, I'm not going to commit. Uh, there's the objects file uh, uh, folder, which we can talk about sort of in, in greater depth. There's a thing called refs. And uh, actually, there, there's sort of a minimal amount of stuff in there when you first start. Uh, things start to get interesting once you uh, add more into there. So uh, we... Let's t- like we can talk about what happens when you actually make your first commit, uh, yeah, and and the stuff that goes in there. Yeah. So so the first thing you do when you um, are working with Git is you'll 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 have some files. Let's say you got one file and you decide to stage that file. Uh, so you stage it. That goes into the index. And when you put a file into the index, it actually also it it, it creates files inside the objects folder. So it basically takes the contents of the file and it adds a header to it, hashes that and creates this really long file name and sticks that into the objects folder. Uh, and then it also puts it into the index, uh, a, a, basically a reference to that file name and a data about it. Then you, you have that sort of sitting there, but there's no commit yet. Um,
1: you said index. There's like an index, but that isn't get. committed right like so how how do i this is like when i do the git add command there's like this temporary middle ground where it's almost like and that's why i guess it's called like staging because it's like oh okay, yeah let's just like make sure everything is fine before we hit the button and then like you know boom <laughs> get it out yeah there. Yeah.
0: yeah i mean it, that's it's really helpful right because if you have like lots of changes locally but you really only want some of there's like a logical set of them that makes sense to land together and then maybe some other stuff that you didn't want to land uh, it, it ah. makes sense to to put that stuff into the stage and then say, yes, these are the things I'm going to commit and the other things I'm not going to commit.
1: Oh, interesting. So say like I've worked on a feature and I have like a bajillion files, but I was like, for the sake of like maybe a cleaner history or uh, you you don't want like, or, you know, there's another... Uh, like some folks have this thing, like every commit should pass the build or like have a test. Like some people have like right. those kind of rules, right? So if you want to stage it together so that, like, okay, I want to pluck these changes and then uh, commit a different portion, so that it's helpful in those kind of scenarios, right? Like where you don't want the whole thing to just go into a single commit.
0: Exactly, and and you know you you can always revisit your uh, uh, your history after the fact by you know sort of doing a rebase and moving things around. But it, you know it also makes sense to try and uh, stage and commit things in, in reasonable steps so that you can sort of follow along or somebody can follow that along in a PR. Uh, yeah, so that's 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 a reason why people use the stage.
1: The funny thing I realized, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in, uh, say I'm like watching my .git directory, right? And I uh, add something to the index and then uh, I commit it. If you look at the .git directory, you may not necessarily, I mean, there'll obviously be a difference, but there isn't like anything, there isn't like an indexing area where it's like, oh, this is temporary, right? So it's the whole temporary staging thing is like a conceptual thing. It Like to git, it's literally just another step, right? Where it, does like the hashing thing and we'll get into that in a moment where how those objects are stored in in hash but there isn't anything special about like adding to the index right it's just like it's it's just a conceptual thing right is that right or not exactly true uh
0: yeah there there are well there actually is this index file that's in in so oh. it's in the get directory it's called index it's a binary file and Oh I see
1: that yeah yeah uh huh
0: yeah and so you can also you can get access to the contents of that by using git ls files, which is another one of these plumbing commands that we talked about. And so you can see what's in there. but um, and it's a li- it's basically just a list of file names and uh, and the Shas that that represent those file names. Uh, yeah, so so it does get added to that.
1: Oh, so when I do a git status, it's typically like looking in the index file and a bunch of other places before it gives me like the status.
0: That's right, that's right, yeah. Right, it needs to look at your local working directory and the, and to see the untracked files, it needs to look at the index to see what's indexed, and it will also look at the commit to see if your changes are in the index are different from the ones that are in the latest commit.
1: Uh, interesting interesting okay so like the objects thing now right like how does that work like and can you like walk me through like the simplest thing like say i'm creating like a dummy file right like a like a, a text file like the simplest thing like right? because we're going to get into also like because you can commit anything into git right like you can commit videos like uh heck audio files like yeah any any file Yep. i'm curious also about that like how does that happen but like yeah we'll get to that in a bit before that how does this yeah, like if you walk me through like the simplest like text file, like say I touch like you know which is a Unix command for just like creating a file, or like heck I just you know in your favorite text editor I create like a text file. Can you walk me through what happens from the point of adding and then committing? Like internally, what would the Git directory like see?
0: Sure, sure. So uh, yeah, so nothing will happen at all until you actually uh, add it to your index. Uh, when you add it to your index by doing git add file name, what will happen is uh, an, uh, what's called a loose object will be created, uh, and a loose object will go into the objects directory. And this is, this is that funny thing that, uh, where uh, the contents of that file uh, along with a header will be hashed, and it'll make this 40-character string, right? Uh, it's a hexadecimal string representing uh, the data. And then uh, it takes the first two characters of that string and determines which directory it should go into based on that. And then the remaining 38 characters become the file name underneath that directory. So that contents is then uh, uh, added to that file, uh, but, but it's uh, zipped first. And then, okay, so now we have, there's a new file inside the objects directory that is is addressable by the content. So, it it was the stuff inside the file that made us decide on what the name of the file should be.
1: Got it. And no two files, well, if I had the exact same file... It would also basically hash to the same thing.
0: Interestingly, it's actually if you had the exact same file content, it'll go. To, so it doesn't even matter what the file name is or what the uh, you know the the permissions are on the file. All that matters is the contents of the file, which is great because it, it dedupes exact same files.
1: Oh, this is this is like very interesting. If I had like a ten MB text file. And I kept making changes in, like, you know, I was changing one line, uh, and I have a git log. of I've changed that file, like, over 100 times. Git, does git, it doesn't store 100 copies of the same binary, right? Like, assuming, like, nothing changed about the file, right? Like, I just was, like, changing the permissions or something. It doesn't actually, if you actually make changes in the file, I would imagine it's storing, like, uh, yeah, how does that work? Like, does it store different copies? Uh, does it diff those copies? And also, yeah.
0: Right, so if you're changing the permissions or the file name, either one of those, it won't make any changes to the, uh, to, to the blob associated with that data at all. Uh, it, 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 if, you, if you then, uh, you know, uh, stage and commit that file, it will make changes to what's called the tree that points to the blob but it won't make changes to the blob. So but let's talk about the tree late, a little bit later. Yeah, so, so it won't make changes to the blob. You're right, if you do make changes to the contents of the file, then because the contents is different, when you hash that contents, you get a completely different hash. Uh, and so it'll it'll describe a completely different file name. And so it'll even put it into a different directory since the directories are the first two characters of, of the uh, of the hash.
1: Oh, interesting. Interesting. And so that, that basically means I will have like new 10 MB files. like
0: Exactly. Yeah. You'll have, you'll have many 10 MB files, which is a kind of a crazy thing. Uh, and, and so that's why these are called loose objects at first. Uh, and so it, it it'll, uh, it'll store loose objects for a, a while until it decides that it needs to automatically kick in and do a garbage collection, which will see all these different, different but very similar files, right? And uh, then it will create a thing called a pack file. And the pack file is the optimized format that you're probably imagining uh, this stuff should go into.
1: Uh, can you uh can you spell that out packed file as in P A C T or P A C uh
0: yeah it's a p-a-c-k file so it's a it's a very sort of tightly compact file and there's a separate file that's the index into that file and so so a pack file works by by basically it stores like the the latest version of the file uh fully uh and then the difference is uh, are from the previous version are stored uh, after after that, and so when you look at if if you want to determine the, the the contents of the file at any given time, you'll look at the index for that. But but what's interesting is that that doesn't happen at first. At first, you just end up with these loose object files, so you'd have many 10 MB files within your objects directory prior to uh, uh, that um, GC happening.
1: Oh, you just I, oh wow! I just had a mind-blowing moment right now. I remember when I work on very big repositories, sometimes Git just tells me to run Git like GC like garbage collection, and I'm like ah whatever, okay, just run the command. Yeah. <laughs> I see. Because I just yeah. like just like let me commit, like you know, because it won't like sometimes Git doesn't allow you to commit because it like gives you warning saying like either you have too many loose objects, which again makes a lot of sense. That's now on.
0: yeah, that's what those are. Yeah, yeah.
1: Got it, got it. Okay, so I just had like a major aha moment right now. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, So I noticed there's actually a directory in objects called pack, which I guess is where like all the pack files. So if I want to see those pack files, that's probably where it would be stored, right?
0: Right, right.
1: Okay, cool. I'm with you so far. So there's like loose objects. uh, We're walking through this, like there's different 10 MB files. What happens next?
0: Okay. So uh, what happens next is we have those files as loose objects in the object directory. And we, you know, that's like the first thing that happens uh when we're doing the staging of this thing the next thing that happens is we put the content into the uh into the actual index file uh and what that does is basically um we have the the SHA of the file and we want to say what file name it's associated with uh and and so that information sort of the, the combination of that information goes into the index uh, but let's sort of skip forward uh, now to what a commit looks like, because a, a commit is sort of, this is this is the crux of it. This is where things get really interesting. We have these sort of loose objects just sitting there with, with these really long names, right? Uh, and that's kind of useless to us unless you can translate a file name into that. So we want to make a commit. Uh, so we have a file that's this uh, sort of loose object now. And we, in the end, we want to have this commit where it says, you know, uh, this is what my directory looked like at this time. And he- here's the, uh, the sh- basically the shahs of the files at the time that I made this commit. And so to do that, you know, if you sort of work your way downwards, you want to have a like a commit object. Uh, and that commit object needs to somehow describe all the files that it had. And we know that there's these, these shas that describe the files, uh, the, the content of the file. But we need to know that, like the name of the file uh, as well. And so what this commit does is the commit points to a root of a tree. And this tree is a, a, a new type of object. The tree object describes the top level of your directory. So, in this case, it's actually pretty straightforward because our directory, let's say our our file name is example, right? The tree object just has, uh, you know, it'll it'll have something describing the permissions on the file or, or, or the mode, uh, and then it'll have the file name, and then it'll have that forty character uh, thing. So, uh, so it's very simple for this particular example. But let's say that we had a subfolder that also had a file in it. This tree would point to another tree file. And that tree, that tree file is an object inside of the objects file as well. So it also has this 40 character uh, uh, name too. So the, 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 the key thing here is that in the objects folder, we have commit objects, we got tree objects, we have got blobs, which are the you know the the raw file storage, and we uh, we also have uh, sort of annotated tags. But let's just ignore those guys. Uh, but yeah, we've got three different types of things that are in the object folder, and they all use this SHA uh, structure.
1: Andrew, so that was the thing I was going to ask. If I open up my objects folder, I'm not going to see like tree objects, loose objects, blob objects. All I see. Is like, say, I had like this 40 uh, character sized sort of thing. I see directories right. with just the first two characters, the first two like characters off that long string as the name of the directory. And then the rest of the portion is hashed and then stored as files inside that. Right. And like, that's the only thing. Yeah. I see.
0: So if you were to go to one of those files and unzip it, you'd see that the first line of the file describes the type of object that it is. So it would either be a blob, a tree, or a commit. That that would be like right inside the oh, the, the first line of the file. Got
1: it, got it. So the type of git file it is or whatever. Yeah, the git commit file. Yeah. Okay, got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. All of those commits basically. And depending, I obviously can't tell from just looking at the directory listing, but obviously git can. All of these are just like interspersed in the objects directly. So any That's one right. of those yeah. things could be like a tree object, it could be uh, an actual file object, or it could be just like the info object thing.
0: Yeah. It's just kind of like a key value database addressable by the content of the file.
1: ah I was gonna ask that. So how does the deduping work here now? Because you it Git just like is able to search through all of these things and find out if that same hash exists and just for that file content alone and then it just points to that. Like and that is just zipped together in like the different commit. Is that how is that how it works? That's how it's able to do the deduping?
0: Yeah. uh, the deduping works because it all it cares about is the content of the file. So, when you're about, let's say that you, uh, you have like a, a license, for example, and you put it into like five directories and it's the same license, right? Right, right. Uh, when it's deciding uh, how to store that file, the first thing it does is it takes the content of the file and it hashes it. And that hash will be the same for all of the uh, licenses because they're all exactly the same. Uh, content they're in di- they're in different places within the the repository uh, but I'm uh, sorry, within the working directory but um but they're the same content and so the thing that will differ about those when you actually look at the commit, if you work your way downwards from the commit is that they'll be in different trees but the, the uh, but the tree will point to the exact same hash all those files
1: got it so the tree is almost like the binding metadata thingy right like that exactly is able to yeah. like, pick the metadata and then know okay so this is how i should construct my directory
0: that's right yeah
1: so before we like go uh, uh into like uh, more topics let's talk about the hashing thing so like wh- what's the deal with the hashing thing uh, like so this is an SHA one hashing algorithm that's right yeah uh, any reason why that was chosen like or is just convenience like linus just felt that I have this and I also like in the recent past have heard there is like something to it where like there was typically no collisions but apparently I was reading like this thing where like the first collisions ever happened in the history of Git, blah blah blah. Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. We want to be changing this to a new algorithm, but the changing that is not that straightforward. But like, it's not really that big of a problem if you have a smaller. Yeah. What's the deal with this hashing algorithm?
0: So I'm not an expert on this, but what what I think must be happening is that you you want to find a hashing algorithm that has a good distribution, right? Because you want to make sure that uh, uh, yeah. If you look at your objects directory, there's there's 256 directories underneath it. Once you have enough files, because the, that uh, the first two characters of hexadecimal can describe 256 directories. If you look inside those directories, there's a, they're they're distributed. The files within there, especially on a very large project, are distributed almost equally within those uh, within those two uh, within those 255 directories.
1: Oh, and that's a virtue of the algorithm because like this is the thing where like, even if I change a single character in my text file, the hash looks like very different. It doesn't, it isn't like, okay, in that 40 characters, uh, hypothetically, right. say all the characters were 0, right? Like it's going to be very rare for you to run into that, but whatever, like, even if you run into that, if I change one text character, it isn't basically going to say, oh, I'll change one of those zeros into one. The hash. <laughs> right,
0: right, right. Everything changes. Yeah, yeah.
1: And this is, I think, what do you mean by distribution, right? So it like spreads it across those yeah. characters. Okay.
0: Yes, that's right, that's right and, and the other thing is that you uh, you, uh, you want it to be so you want a good distribution, you also want to be able to have it sort of uniquely identify the data w- within the file as well so uh, w- w- what I mean by that is you know kind of what you were saying before, the first collision like you really want no two files to possibly w- with different content to possibly ever have the same uh, Sha so uh, that's that's part of the reason why these things are so long, right? This is supposed to be like universally unique uh, fingerprint for the content of the file. So if you have the same file and I have the same file and and we put it into Git, we'll end up with the same fingerprint for it. Uh, but no file that is n- not that same contents will have that same fingerprint. So we can know. Uh, that this is this is always going to be the same for absolutely everyone and that nobody's going to disagree with us because it's so long. Now, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, when when you're working with uh, Git on small projects, um, when you do, like, you know, uh, Git, uh, uh, Git log or whatever, what you'll see is these sort of very short shots. It doesn't show you all 40 characters. It shows you, like, seven characters or something.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the other thing, yeah, that I'm curious about, it. yeah.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, I, you know, both of us work at a company that's like now getting pretty big and has a lot of commits. And that the number of characters that show there it, it seems to be increasing over time because there's potentially more collisions within the data itself at those at those small numbers. Yeah.
1: Oh my god! Here I was thinking that that was because I had like some weird setting on my computer because I keep messing up with my Git config and stuff.
0: Well, you know, it, it might be too. I they may have also changed Git, but but fundamentally. Uh, there's a problem with collisions, you know, it, like right, imagine right. that it only showed you two characters, right? <laughs> that that as soon as you had like a 255 files, you'd accidentally be, dis- or, or even before then, there'd be the likelihood of some collisions. So uh, it needs to show more than that. Uh, if it showed all 40, there'd never be any collisions, but nobody would actually want to type that.
1: Right, right, right. So Git is really smart to show just enough so that it's like unique f- or within like no two sets of what get shows in your log would be unique in your directory in your like set of commits at least. Right, right. Damn, that's pretty smart.
0: <laughs> yeah, I feel like we should we should at some point talk about refs too because so far all we've been talking about is these these uh, these shas and nobody wants to work with them,
1: right? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah, let's talk about refs.
0: Yeah, so refs are basically like. Uh, these these nice things that, that that help us work with these shaws. So uh, th- there's this idea of, of branches in Git, and and there's the master branch, and and it's again like Git, Git is kind of interesting. There, master branch isn't really special except that it's the branch that happens to be created when you do a Git in it. Uh, otherwise, there's nothing. It, and and by convention, people say, oh, okay, well, well, master branch is like you know is like trunk for development.
1: Right. It's like your default, basically, right.
0: It's your default, yeah, but but other branches are are equally valid, and there's not really any difference between them uh, from from Git's perspective. So if I make another branch that's called, you know, like a feature or something, uh, then the two are pretty much indistinguishable uh, from from Git's perspective. And, and the reason I bring that up is because um, branches are basically uh, they're one of the things that that is a, a ref. So a a ref is basically a pointer to a commit. Uh, So in in the case of master, right? Master, when you say master, it's actually put into a folder uh, in Git called uh, you know dot Git refs heads master and And if you look at the contents of that file, that's a, that's a file. That's actually, you can just look at the content of it. It's you don't have to use any kind of special tooling and it just has a, a, a SHA in it. And that SHA points to the commit that it believes is currently master.
1: Oh, interesting. So it's literally just a reference. It's like straight up a key saying like, oh, if I go to this branch or like this reference what is the commit I should point to? And then that's yes. basically just stored in that. That's right. Yeah. Oh, uh, interesting. Okay, so uh, I'm actually just looking at this and it's, uh, you, you're right. It's in .git slash logs slash ref.
0: Oh, logs logs is a different folder. Yeah, it's in .git slash refs.
1: Oh, that's right. There's another, oh, you're right, you're right. Uh, there's another doc get there's a refs there as well (coughs) (laughs) damn that is yeah and i also see the tags which is like yeah again like a different thing but okay so refs stands for references and there's nothing magical about this that makes sense so what you're saying is as i create new branches say i create like a feature a branch there'd just be another file like master in my refs heads uh, uh directory where it would create a new branch it would create the new branch uh well it would create a new file with the name of the branch that i have and it would literally just point to a commit that's right yeah i don't want to like be jumping too much but i've run into situations where i've found that i'm on a commit but my status doesn't say that i'm on that branch it just points to a commit and this is because it says it has like that weird message where it says like oh there's it's not loose objects i figured what like git tells is basically like oh i can't find Ref- yeah, it's a
0: detached head state.
1: Yes, detached head thing. What's the deal with that?
0: <laughs> yeah, uh, head is another file that's in the .get directory, and and head is is kind of interesting. It can be, it can contain two things. It can either contain a, uh, and if you go and look at it right now in your .get directory, you'll probably see something that looks like you know ref colon and then the name of some ref.
1: I see it, refs, Uh, heads, master. That's what, refs slash heads slash master is what I see.
0: Yeah. So, so head basically describes the commit that you're currently looking at. And so, uh, right now in your working directory, the commit that you would be uh, looking at is the same commit that happens to be the master commit. Uh, But you can check out a different commit that is not pointed to by any of the refs, right? So so it, it's not pointed to by master. And if you do that, this head file will update. And instead of saying ref colon something, it'll just have a SHA directly to the commit that you happen to be looking at
1: oh interesting so there's like different things here i could be in different branches so those are different references so it could be feature a feature b or just master so i could point at any point i could be on any one of these branches and so there's like something that points to that and then even inside one of those branches i could be in any one of the bajillion commits in that uh branch
0: yeah but what's interesting to think about here uh is that if you let's say you're you're let's say you're on your feature branch, and you say uh, you know git checkout uh, head and then you, uh, a carrot right, which will move you to the previous commit. Then then the question is like, are you in the branch or not? Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> you're on a commit, <laughs> right? Right. And 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 you're and you're on the, and you're sort of still in the branch by virtue of being in the descendants of the in the ancestors of of the final commit of the branch, but you're also kind of not on the in the branch, right? You're you're on a commit
1: <laughs> because there's no ceremony to like this whole branch thing. It's almost like you know a a nice like handy like sheet for you to like quickly jump. It's like a convenience thing. Like, the commit in the end is like the main thing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and how is and that's disambiguated by. This head directory and the refs thing that we have there. Yeah. So if I'm same feature A, I'm on branch feature A. Okay. Right, so I say I'm like ten commits before, you know, I've checked out a ten n minus ten commits, right? Like where uh-huh. n is uh-huh. like the
0: tip uh, from the branch from the branch pointer. Yeah, from yeah. branch pointer.
1: How does Git know that? Like, it would where would it look and how would it like disambiguate that?
0: It doesn't know it. The only way that it would be able to know it is by going by by going to the pointer for the branch, which which is 10 commits forward and walking its way backwards uh, to the parent commits until it arrives at where you are on the head. And then it would say, oh, that was 10 steps.
1: But so here's the thing. Okay, so I'm there. Now I switch to a different branch, right? I switch to master and I switch back to that branch. It doesn't take me forward. It keeps me at that same tip. So how does that happen?
0: Uh, it would actually take you forward. It would uh, it, it, it would take you, So So if you were on feature A and you move 10 commits backwards uh, by, by doing a checkout 10 commits before, and then you check out to master, and then you check out your feature again. You'll be at the at the reference to your feature, not at that ten commits backwards. Yeah,
1: Got it, because get it's almost like an alias, right? Like the the yes, branches. it's exactly like an alias. Yeah, yeah. Oh, interesting, interesting. So if I did check out ten commits before, and I wanted to stay there, then I would have to reposition the head of that branch to point to. And minus ten commit
0: right, right, and that's that's pretty straightforward uh, so all you need to do in that case is say git reset hard, and then the name of the branch that uh actually uh I'm sorry w- w- what, you w- what you would what you would want to do instead is uh be at the branch pointer and say get reset hard and then uh, the the name of the commit that you want to reset the branch pointer back to.
1: So what happens then, though? Because like I know there's another very interesting command, but if I do that and then I go to like you know I jump around like work on master, work on different feature, and I come back and I'm like ah crap, I wanted to go back to that place that I'm in. I know Git somehow has this. How does that work, right? Like can I have I lost that for eternity if I just like reset? Because the other thing is, like in my early days of Git, people used to scare me saying, "Do not do Git reset hard origin master," right? Which is like a command which is basically like, pff, nuke everything and then get me to this point. <laughs> but then I also realized, as I like learn Git, that like, that's if I commit something, like I don't actually have to worry about anything because you can right, somehow right. always get there. How does all of that work? And actually, I think you were the one who taught me this command.
0: <laughs> right. So so there's a thing called the reflog, uh-huh. uh, and and when you do Git log, it will just show you everywhere that you moved to, so uh, it, 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 or or where the, the references moved to. So, um, for example, if you went to one commit and then you then you changed the pointer to another commit, every every piece of that information will be in the ref log, and you can sort of work your way through the ref log and see which commits were being pointed to at which times. So then you can say, oh, that's the commit that I that's the commit that I want to get back to. And so, yeah, you can then say, you know, get reset hard and then the name of that commit and your branch will be back to pointing to the commit that you were on at that time. And 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 nothing is lost in Git uh, that's been committed up until it's garbage collected and it's it's garbage collected only when nothing points to it anymore. Uh, for some duration of time, or you say, you know, please prune it.
1: Is there a difference between Git pruning and Git uh, GCing? Like, does GC and prune basically do the same thing, or no? There's like obviously some difference. I actually don't know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, well, that's that's like homework for us, I guess. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I
0: think I think I think prune is one of the uh, flags for for Git GC, but uh, actually, yeah. I, I'm not sure. Yeah.
1: Honestly, half the time with prune and GC, I'm just like copy pasting. I see a command, I was like, okay, stack overflow this. Someone says run prune or GC. I run it and it gets me through. So like that's, yeah.
0: Right, but 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 if we if we talk about this real quick, like if you make a new feature branch and you make a bunch of commits on that feature branch and then you delete the feature branch, what what you're deleting when you delete the feature branch is just the ref to the branch. Those commits that you made will still be there because the commits are inside the objects folder. There's just nothing pointing to them anymore.
1: Ah, I see, I see. So, and again, this is like, to be clear, this is only on your machine, right? So that means-
0: Only on your machine, right, 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 yeah.
1: This isn't like, yeah, there's no magic synchronization happening when you push. It looks in the end, it does look at like the uh, the branches that you have or the refs that you have, right? It's right. Like,
0: it will only push the, the the information that's pointed to by refs. That's right. Yeah.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. So, but you still can get to it through git reflog if you. And oh, I see. That's what you mean. So, if you haven't garbage collected that, uh, it's on your local because by virtue of having moved to a whole bunch of different places, it keeps track of that, uh, but it isn't deleted until you prune, and when you prune, it says like, hey, nobody's pointing to that, so I can save some space, nuke that out of the local, and then it's like lost. Exactly. Got it, so does that mean your, if we're working in the same repository, clearly your reflog is gonna look very different from my reflog, right, because-
0: Absolutely, yeah, that's a that's a local thing.
1: That's a purely local thing, okay, got it. Uh, this is making a lot of sense to me. There is one question I wanna ask, so like with respect to the deletion thing, right? What happens if I actually delete it? Like, you know, because I'm like in my repository and I'm saying, nope, I don't need that asset anymore in my Android directory. I want like, you know, uh, design is giving me a new asset or like, you know, heck, that feature didn't work out. So I'm going to nuke, like delete something. Uh, so right. you know, I'm actually RMing that file and committing. Does Git like actually delete it? Like, what's the deal huh? like there? What happens in that process? Because when I pull the repository again, I don't see the file, you know? So like when I LS, when I list, that file, I don't see it there, so.
0: So your working directory, the file is actually removed from your working directory. However, if you think about it, like, like let's say you delete the file and commit, uh, but you you need to have that file if you happen to uh, check out the the commit prior to the commit you just made. You need that file to sort of reappear. Uh, and so so the file needs to stick around inside the objects directory
1: in our original thing the 10 mb thing this is again like another reason why like it's stored in there right
0: yeah yeah and but it'll yeah yeah. so so the objects directory can can grow quite a bit and in fact even like it won't even garbage collect that as long as uh, you know let's say we were working on master when we deleted it if you walk your way backwards on master uh, that file will still be needed by some of the uh, ancestor commits, and so it, it can't remove it from your objects. Now, there's a there's a command called filter branch, which is used for actually removing files uh, from the git commit history as well. Uh, but I'm not super familiar with what it does. What what I do know is that there's there's no way of changing a commit in git without also changing the SHA of the commit which makes it a new commit
1: right right so there's like there's only a moving forward kind of approach here unless uh do you have to like change the history altogether right
0: yeah yeah the whole history would change so it, it would none like, like if you were to filter a branch uh none of the commits after where you remove this file would have the same name that they used to have they they, they would all have a di- different shots
1: because oh and this is because the tree like one of those tree objects has changed and then that like reflects all the way up uh, as you Exactly
0: cuz you think again it's the contents of the file that's the, that's the name of the file and so if you look in a commit file the content of that file will change because the SHA of the tree is different, and that's inside the commit. Yeah, so it, it'll end up. It, it, it has a, a sort of a cascading effect when. Yeah.
1: Damn, that's fascinating. Yeah, just to think that, like, yeah, Linus actually thought about all of these things, right? <laughs> yeah, it's insane.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it is.
1: Uh, oh man, I had another follow-up question. Oh damn it! Oh, it'll come to me, yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about, like, the whole, like, deletion process. Oh, uh, yeah, that's the thing I was going to say. So I know there's been times where folks have, like, accidentally committed credentials or something into Git, right? And this is why it's, like, important <laughs> to, like, really, yeah, just, like, deleting the file doesn't mean, like, too much because someone could just roll back their history and, like, oh, that's your AWS token, great, yep. <laughs> you know, running into this, right? And this is, I think, one of those cases where you run, like, Git RM and there's, like, some level of filter branch to... Yeah. Again, like I don't understand how it works either. I just like Google this every single time, and then I just paste those commands. But this, <laughs> right, I right. imagine what it's doing is it's basically changing the history, uh, removing like all references to any shot that would hold that object, and then just nuking that thing altogether.
0: Right. right right
1: that's right okay wow that that was super useful and that was like a whole bunch that i think like it just, yeah
0: yeah i'd be concerned that we overwhelm people with too much information
1: but <laughs> no no this is awesome this is awesome though i they, it's just one of those things and i would like encourage folks like after you listen to this go like fiddle around with your directory maybe create a new git repository change a file and i, I there's another like there's a video of like this is like early from someone at GitHub. Uh, this is quite some time back. I'll remember to throw that in our show notes as well. Uh, but just like after you've listened to like what Gordon has said, t- like just go meddle with your directory. See how things change. Uh, the thing that really had like the aha moment was when I created like a dummy repository. I added a text file and then I started to see how it changed, right? Like, add, you know, like touch a file. So like don't add anything, like have empty content and then see how that changes Commit a file, see how that changes. Rename a file, and then see how like certain some of these commits change, but some don't. Just looking at that, just may you start to realize how elegant and beautiful a system Git is, despite how complicated it is. Because Git, like famously has, it is purely meant for developers, right? Like no normal sane human being would find this to be easy to work with or logical. Heck, even developers don't, right? So I think that really like will help cement a lot of the stuff that gordon talked about this is awesome g thanks a lot
0: no well thanks for having me on this is fun to talk about
1: yeah yeah if i'm sure like folks are gonna like have follow-up questions and like have more interesting things to ask if they did want to do that what's a good place they can like hit you up
0: yeah i i'm on twitter uh Uh, G McCrite, G M C C R E I G H T.
1: This is amazing. Thank you so much. This is like always one of those things I kind of understand how Git works, but I didn't like have a better understanding of it. So I've always wanted to have this session with you. And I'm glad we could do this and share it with our listeners. And thank you again for like spending the time. I know it's like super busy at work for us, but you took the time and did this. I really appreciate it. Well, sure thing, Kaushik. All right. Thank you all so much for listening. And I will catch you in the next episode. I'd like to take this chance and thank the sponsor for this episode, Educative.io. There are a lot of websites out there that offer programming courses, but Educative.io has a really special text-based interface that helps folks learn faster and more efficiently. Check out the very new course they have for Android developers called Modern Android App Development. If you use the special link we have here, educative.io slash fragmented. Then you get an additional 10% off your purchase. So remember to use that special link. Once again, it's educative.io slash fragmented. Thanks again for sponsoring the show. That's it for the show, folks. Fragmented is hosted by Don Felker and me, Kaushik Gopal. We edit and produce all the episodes here on Fragmented. Sarah the Amazing Jackson from the Spec Network helps with production assistance and wraps our final mix. Our theme and ad music is by the national recording artist, Blueprint, from Weightless Recordings. You can find more Fragmented episodes at fragmentedpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.